0: Redeemer, so good to be with you. I need to make a quick confession. And I know when I say that, I'm sure Jeremy's like, what is he going to say? But I'm a crier. I cry. Uh, You know, I'll watch a commercial and I'm like fighting tears, you know, of a puppy dog or something like that. Uh, I don't know if the Lord just made me extra sensitive or what, but um, I just need you to know this morning. I remember about a year ago coming in to Redeemer for my first Sunday morning service, and I was sitting right in that area over there, and just sitting under the Word of God and just hearing it preached and just hearing the gospel, um, man, I was just fighting tears the whole time, and finally I had to just let them flow. And just letting the, the, the Word wash me that morning, uh, I'm hoping that's what it does for us this morning. Um, and I was just, I just want to say... I'm in awe of the fact that we have a God who speaks. That we're not waiting on some extra revelation or some outside revelation or some secret knowledge. But we have everything we need to know about God that's sufficient here in His Word. And we get to open it up on Sunday mornings and and look at it. and, And just be blown away that God speaks. And He still speaks to His children uh, in his words. So just wanted, that wasn't in my notes. That was just something I was thinking about as I was making my way up here. So we've been looking at first Samuel, uh, this morning, we're going to be in chapter seven of first Samuel. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, in your Bibles or on your devices, we're going to be in first Samuel chapter seven. So we've been looking, um, at three specific characters, Uh, One being Samuel and and his mom, Hannah, who was barren and cried out to the Lord that we see in chapters 1 and 2. She cries out to the Lord and God gives her Samuel, who is a prophet and a judge. And then later on, we'll see uh, a couple more characters who are Saul and David, who are both kings. We're going to talk about them extensively. But the main character that we need to know about... And the participator in this story is God Himself. That all things happen according to His plan and His will. Last week, Jeremy took us through chapters 5 and 6. And just the fact that he can go through two chapters like that just blows my mind. Because there's I can barely make it through one chapter. Uh, but we see what happens after the ark is captured. Uh, the, the people of Israel bring out the ark. And, and it's kind of this... It's just they have this this trump card they can say look we can win if we have the ark and they bring it out And god gives them the victory But in this moment in in these two chapters, we see that god removes that from them And the philistines capture the ark And the israelites are left without the ark and then the the philistines send it back. They send it back to the israelites So we find ourselves in the middle of what's taking place After the people of Israel are delivered from the gods of Egypt, this pantheon of gods that the people of Egypt worship, they're in the house of slavery and God delivers them by the hand of Moses. And then they're taken into the promised land. So we find ourselves in the middle of this story. We are post exile. So in some place in our minds, we, we expect things to get a little better. We expect things to, to, to be easier In a sense, we want some relief for the people of Israel who have suffered so long. But the question has to be asked, why did the people of Israel suffer? Why did they suffer? Before we run to accuse God, we have to ask the question, why did they suffer for so long? If you read in Judges 21 verse 25, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the way this this is meant to be read is really to be verse one of chapter one of first Samuel. Is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then we go into the story of Hannah. So we see all this in light of Genesis chapter three. So what happens in Genesis chapter three before that is God makes a good world. He says these things are good. And then man and woman step into a life of disobedience. They rebel against God. They eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They rebel against God. And that's where we see the fall take place. So because we are sinners, we, because we were right along with man and woman in that moment, because we submitted to their headship, we need... We need a mediator. We need someone to reconcile us to God. We cannot do this on our own. So this is important for us to see as we read God's word, we read it as a redemptive historical narrative. Is it a story that's being told about God 's redemption plan for mankind since Genesis chapter three and 3:15, God says himself, "I will send someone." The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And in that moment is when the story begins to unfold for the people of Israel, for God's own people. Look, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20. There's a question that is asked to us in that verse. It says, who is able to stand before Yahweh, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, he is unlike any other God. So we have to ask, we we have to say we need a mediator. We need someone to go in between God and us because we are sinners and we cannot approach God without a mediator. And the relief comes in the name of Jesus himself, who is the true and better Judge and prophet. In Psalm 130 verses 3 through 4. One of my favorite chapters in Psalms. It says this. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins. If you kept a book and you were writing down my sins all the day long. How could I stand before you? But in you, there is forgiveness. In you, there is relief from my sin. In Jesus Christ, we find that forgiveness. We find that mediator. So the Old Testament is constantly pointing us to something better. The coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King, in whom we find forgiveness and perfect justice. He is what the people of Israel long for. And ultimately, he is what our hearts long for. So that was my introduction. So I I hope you're still with me in a sense. Last week, Jeremy read the first two verses out of 1 Samuel chapter 7. And what happens here, and and give us some grace as pastors, because there's some, some names of places and names of people that... We might say that our, you know, I mean, something might slip out at some point. So forgive us and give us some grace. But the ark is put away in, in verses 1 and 2. And it's held by some Gentiles in a place called Kiriath jerium And it's there for about 20 years. 20 years passes. We see that in verses 1 and 2. And after all that takes place... And losing the ark, the people of Israel lament before the Lord. We see that in verse 2. They lament before the Lord. There's this sense of that the people almost lost the glory of God for good. That that there was they they was there was this real fear that we could have lost the ark for good. I remember when my middle guy Kyle, when he was about one, maybe two years old, I had a dream one night and I know as parents we have sometimes we have some terrible nightmares about our kids but I was I was dreaming and I'll spare you of the details but Kyle he died in the dream and I remember looking in the casket and seeing my dead son and 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 just waking up in this panic and my heart could not it couldn't stop beating fast and I mean I was just like my, I couldn't catch my breath and I woke up and I ran to Kyle's room in the middle of the night and I saw that he was peacefully sleeping there. So I scooped him up and I took him into bed with us and laid him down. And there was this sense, and I want you to get what the people of Israel were feeling in this moment. There was this sense that, oh, thank God that we didn't lose it, but we could have. And God forbid that I ever lose any of my children in my lifetime. But there was this very real sense that that dream could have been reality. That I could have lost my son. I could have been mourning the death of my son. Let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 3. Just that first part there. It says, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel. So here's an important note to make. That when Samuel speaks, it's important. So make that observation before we we just blow past that. Make that observation that when Samuel speaks, everyone's ears perk up. Because Samuel is a prophet. And when a prophet speaks, God himself is speaking through that person. Let's look at verses 3. And 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. It says, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. So we see what Samuel says here when he speaks, he said, we need to put away these false gods. We need to repent as a nation that we have given ourselves to other gods. We have given ourselves to lesser things. And I want to, I want to make this connection for you as we see this, this story post-exile. God had delivered the people of Israel out of this pantheon of gods, little G gods, all these gods that the the people of Egypt worship. He had delivered them from that house of slavery in Exodus chapter 20, verse two. It says, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he goes into the 10 commandments. Here's what I want to point out for you in this is that God will never give us a do until He gives us a done. God will always say, this is what I've done for you. Now do this. Now submit yourselves to me because I've done this. I delivered you out of the house of slavery. Now submit yourselves to me in obedience. Not out of this begrudging, I have to do it. But it's because God loves us and He is slow to anger, patient, enduring. That's really good news. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that that God will always give us a done before He gives us a do. That is gospel good news. Let's look in verses 5 through 6. 1 Samuel 7 says... Then Samuel said gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there We have sinned against the Lord and Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So I want you to see four quick things here before we move on down the chapter is that the people of The people of Israel gather at a specific place. So there's a specific place where Samuel says we need to come and return to the Lord. And number two is there's a specific act of repentance that they pour out water before the Lord and they fast. There's a specific act of repentance. Thirdly, they confess their sin collectively of trusting other gods. There's a specific confession that takes place. And lastly, there's a specific judgment that comes. Samuel judges the people of Israel in that specific place. So four things. There's a specific place for repentance, a, spe- a specific act of repentance, a specific confession, and a specific judgment. Things don't get better automatically as the people of Israel rend their hearts to the Lord. And and in this text, when we see that, that Samuel says, direct your hearts to the Lord, there's this language that's used later in the prophets when Joel says, rend not your garments, but rend your hearts to the Lord. So there was this act of repentance in that day that people would literally tear off their clothes when they were in sin. And they were repenting before God. They would tear off their clothes. They would rend their garments. But here Samuel is saying, direct your hearts, rend your hearts to the Lord. For you have given your hearts to other gods. Put those gods away and direct your hearts to God. In verses 7 through 11, I'm not going to read all these, but we see a few things that happen. It said the Philistines, they hear of what's taking place with with the people of Israel. So they come against them again. They come against the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are afraid. They're afraid that the Philistines are going to come capture the ark again. That they're going to take them as slaves. So they tell Samuel, keep praying for us. Keep praying, Samuel. We need your prayers. And Samuel makes a sacrifice in these verses. He, he brings this lamb and he sacrifices this lamb, which is a foreshadowing to what, hap- what will happen at the cross. And then we see that the Lord thunders against the Philistines. Look, if you would, back at Hannah's prayer in chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, Hannah says this in her prayer. It says, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder and... In heaven, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then the Lord defeats the Philistines, and he throws them into confusion, and he routs them before Israel. Israel actually ends up chasing the people of, of the Philistine army. He chased; they chased him out of town. As we move on to verses 12 through 17, we just sang about our Ebenezer. And I remember singing this song growing up in church and Ebenezer sounded like, I don't, does that come out of like the Christmas carol? Like, what does this mean? What does the, the word Ebenezer mean? I want to read these verses for us in 1 Samuel 12. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 7, starting in verse 12, it says this. Says, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on, to a, he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah for his home was there and there also he judged Israel and he built there an altar to the Lord. So I want to talk for just a minute about this Ebenezer, this stone of help that the Lord has helped us to this moment. If you're a note taker, I'm going to put the word up on the screen for you. It's this Hebrew word that you might have heard before and the word is chesed. That's the way you say it. Okay, and I know because I've been corrected. The word, the Hebrew word here is Chesed. Okay, you you can spell it H E S E D or C H E S E D. Chesed. Okay, so this Hebrew word is two parts, and it means love and commitment. Love and commitment that is not dependent on the other party loving back or being worthy of any love. It is a setting of the will. To love regardless of the response. It is a loyal love. A steadfast love. A never wavering commitment. So this stone of help. This Ebenezer stone. Was a physical sign of the chesed of God. That it was his steadfast love that held us. That anchored us in this moment. So we can look back to this stone of help. And see the faithfulness. Of God. And the people would look to the stone and they would say, God has helped us then, and He will not forsake us now. There's this rhythm that God sets. That I would like I'd like for us to see that this morning. There's this rhythm that God sets that He brings low. And then he exalts. He brings low and then he exalts. We can see that even in the New Testament. In parables that Jesus tells. He brings low and he exalts. And we see at the end of chapter 7. That Samuel builds an altar to the Lord. That there he worships God. And that the, the hand of the Lord is with Samuel for the rest of his life as he makes this circuit around judging the people of Israel. So what is the main point? As we wrap up our time this morning, what is the main point of chapter 7? Here is what, as I was preparing and as, as, as I was praying, repentance is a gift that God gives to his people. Repentance is a gift that God gives gives to his people and it's easy to infer or easy to interpret in this moment that if we repent God will give us what we want and that was the problem in the beginning the the people of Israel would bring the ark out and expect a victory until God removed that from their presence so that's that's not what I that's not what I'm saying here that if you just repent God will give you a nicer car or a better house or he'll help hair grow on your head. I don't know what you're truly longing for, but that is not the rhythm that's being set here. It's that God brings low and he exalts. God gives repentance as a gift to his people. Did you know that you can't even repent without God giving you faith first? You have to be given faith by the Holy Spirit so that you can say that you're sorry to God. That you have, that you want to put away those false gods and look to the one true God. Repentance is a gift that God gives to His people. Think about how patient our God is. That he would be right and just in smiting us all. But he is patient. Who could stand before the Lord? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But in you there is forgiveness. So my soul waits for the Lord. My soul waits like the watchmen wait for the morning. My soul waits. This brings true repentance when we rend our hearts. Hearts of flesh given to us by Christ Himself. That we rend our hearts and we say we want to put away those false gods and look to the true God. Creator of heaven and earth. It's this humble, it's this humble view of saying, I can't do this on my own. I've trusted other things and they do not suffice. For some of us, it might look like a job. For some of us, it might look like a political party. For some of us, it might look like children. For some of us, it might look like that promotion that I need. Put away those false gods and look to the only one Who can satisfy us? So, my question is this morning what is our stone of help? What is our Ebenezer? Our Ebenezer, as the people of God, is the cross of Christ. That we look back all those thousands of years ago and we look to what happened to him on that cross, on that day when he suffered and died and bled. For his people. That he gave up his life willingly for us. That is our stone of help. That is our Ebenezer. That all your sins in that moment were future sins. And God helped us in that moment by sending his son to live the life you and I couldn't live. To die the death that we rightly deserve to die. Defeated death after three days to raise us up with him and ascended where he sits at the right hand of God and prays for us, intercedes for us, for his people day and night. What a good king that we serve. There is no other worldview that says that he gave himself for you. Everything else that we see in every other religion is that you have to clean yourself up, that you have to work and work and work and work, and you might make it in. Christianity is the only one that offers a solution in saying, No, I'll give myself. In their place. The gospel fires me up. I don't know about you, but it fires me up. There is a lost and dying world all around us. And we have the message to proclaim. cross of Christ is our Ebenezer that we can look back and we can say God was with us then he will continue to be with us now I want to read something out of Dane Ortland's book this book is called gentle and lowly it says Christ isn't like you even the most intense of human love is but the faintest echo of heaven's cascading abundance. His heartful thoughts for you outstrip what you can conceive. He intends to restore you into the radiant resplendence for which you were created. And that is dependent not on you keeping yourself clean, but on you taking your mess to him. He doesn't limit himself to working with the unspoiled parts of us that remain after a lifetime of sinning. His power runs so deep that he is able to redeem the very worst parts of our past into the most radiant parts of our future. But we need to take those dark miseries to him. God is not, God is not. Waiting for you to clean yourself up and to come to him. But he says, Come to me as you are. Come to me as you are. Come to me. His heart is for us, he loves us, he cherishes us as his children. So much so that he would give himself in our place. I love to think about the gospel. Even in the Old Testament, we can see echoes of the gospel in these shadows of people, some who were righteous before God and some who were wicked. We can see shadows of what is to come in this redemptive story. I love to think about the fact that God takes dead men and makes them live the gospel is not about jesus coming to make bad people good it's that he makes dead people live we are trophies of his grace that he says look look what i can do with someone who was dead and now he's alive Look what I can do with someone who was lost and only wanted what was selfish. They were rebellious to me. Look what I can do. I can make trophies of grace. That is all that we are as His people. Our trophies of grace. So I'm hoping this morning encourages you. If you find yourself here this morning. And you find yourself... That the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Repent. Repent and believe. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our only message. That is Jeremy's only message. Until the day that he dies. Is to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Spirit is drawing you this morning. If you feel conviction of your sin. The Lord is saving you. And Christian, if you find yourself here this morning tired, weak, weary, my encouragement to you is to put away those other gods, to rend our hearts, to direct our hearts to the Lord, to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take some time here in a minute as the band will come up, and we're going to worship in song. We're going to rend our hearts as we sing. There's going to be some people in the back who want to pray with you. Who want to talk to you. If you're feeling that, don't leave this place without speaking to someone. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you that we can put away those other gods and direct and rend our hearts to you. Thank you that we have a place to look. We look to the cross of Christ for our stone of help, our Ebenezer. The very fact that God was with us then, he will be with us now. That is not about how good of a person I can be, but it's about how good of a God you are. That is the truth that we rest in this morning. We do not put our hope in a job. We do not put our hope in our families. We do not put our hope in a spouse. We do not put our hope in a political party. We put our hope in you and you alone, Christ the King. You gave your life willingly for your people. That I ask that you would save this morning. That you would give hearts of flesh in place of hearts of stone. That we look to you for our help. But who could stand before the Lord? If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But in you there is forgiveness. We thank you for that truth this morning. I thank you for this church body. Who loves us, who's praying for us, who will one day send us out. We love you and we thank you. We thank you that we can stand before you because of what Christ has done in our place. We just want to take a minute and just worship, rend our hearts, direct our hearts to you, Lord. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.